Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michelle, and today we're going to be talking about the new moon in the first decan of Libra. Uh, I am joined here today by my good friend and astrology teacher, Achuta Bhava Das of Nightlight Astrology. How are you doing, my friend? Good, man. Thanks for having me. This is I'm, I'm excited. It's a good way to spend the equinox hanging out with um, astrologers and talking about the new moon and stuff. Absolutely. I'm, I'm blinded by all that Viking purple in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so it's overcompensation. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Excuse Chita and I if we nerd out a little bit at various points on American football because uh, we've been <laughs> knee deep in fantasy football. Um, and I wanted to let you know there is a new podcast that we were doing with our friend Kip on his channel, Nightlight Astrology, where we were talking about the astrology of sports. So make sure that you check that out on the Nightlight Astrology YouTube channel. Um, I'm going to welcome a few people in the chat here at Chuta, and then we will dive into it. Well, how does that sound? Perfect. Okay. So just shouting out people from around the globe. We've got Dee here from the UK. Rachel's joining us from Ireland. Dimphy from the Netherlands. Uh, Linda is coming from Nova Scotia. Uh, Jody from South Florida. Let's see who else is here today. Lynn is here from Vermont, I think Vermont. Raven is joining us from Kansas. I think Kansas. Sorry, I'm doing some of these by memory because they're there are regulars. Um, let's see. <laughs> we got, yeah, just a number of amazing friends joining us today. Susanna is here from Finland. Uh, Krista is here from Asheville, North Carolina. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us today. Make sure that you're hitting that like button and subscribe to the channel. Leave us a comment or a question. If you'd like to make a material donation to the to the work we're doing here today, there is a dollar sign in the chat. It's called a super chat or a super sticker. That helps us keep the lights on. Or you can make a donation at buymeacoffee.com. All right, Achuta, uh, it's such an honor to have you here today, my friend. Um, I am a huge fan of your work and just I'm in your debt and in in your grad I'm in gratitude to you for all of your teachings and all of your grace over the years um for those of you who don't know Achuta could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and some of your background with astrology <clears throat> and what you're up to yeah sure well thanks for having me and um yeah it was a really nice uh, nice introduction and um <clears throat> it's I'm glad to be here and um yeah so i'm a professional astrologer just like you and um i uh, make daily content on youtube and i teach classes um and this is my 12th year going on 13 as a professional astrologer so um i love there's not really nothing more that I, that, that i love more than um you know uh thinking about uh, astrology and like li like living a symbolic life. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's about it. That's all I have to say. But I'm I'm really glad to be here and can't wait to unpack the astrology together. Yeah, and your programs are really great too. I I'm a graduate of your various programs. Uh, your year one and year two and horror. I think I took all your classes like twice. <laughs> They're so good. Um, do you have something coming up that uh, you want to share with with people? Oh yeah, sure. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I November thirteenth is the start date of my next program, Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystic. That's the same one that you went through, um, and uh, that's a one year program in you know ancient uh, natal astrology, 
and held on Saturdays. We have some other programs starting in the new year. Um, there's a masterclass series I'm doing for people who are more advanced. And Ashley and I, my wife, who's an herbalist, um, are leading a uh, new and full moon circle throughout the year where we'll be dieting uh, plants and looking at the connection between planets and plants through every moon cycle. That's called Roots and Spheres. So those are some of the new programs people could check out on the website, which is on nightlightastrology.com. Nice. Nice. That sounds like an awesome class. I like the combination of the plant medicine and connecting it with the stars. I think that's something that our audience here is really, I think, would be excited about too. So check out Achuta. Check out Nightlight Astrology. Um, uh, Ashley has some really great offerings too, so follow her on Instagram and the socials as well. Uh, Just a couple more business things before we dive into it, friend. I have a sale going for the Libra Libra Decans webinars that I was doing in the past year. So you can check that out on the store of my website. They are 20% off right now. If you'd like to get a discount on those and we go over myths, uh, we go over fixed stars, we go over tarot, we go over some of the ways to unpack the sign in um, its entirety. So check that out. And also, I wanted to give uh, all of you a heads up that this is the last chance to sign up for my guided group study class that starts on Monday. Uh, we are going to be doing a three-month exploration where we are getting together and we're going to be talking about Demetra George's Volume 2, Ancient Astrology and Theory and Practice. So I'm very excited about that. We've got a really good group starting to come together for that. Uh, so I would be so happy if more of you would join in. And um Make sure you get signed up before we start, Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, that's the business stuff out of the way. What do you say we talk some astrology here, friend? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so I'm going to bring up the chart. So here we're looking at the new moon in Libra, September the 25th, 2022, 5.54 p.m. Eastern Time, 4.54 p.m. Central, if you are in Achuta's time zone. Um, any big picture thoughts that you have about this lunation, Libra in general, perhaps? Um, anything you're seeing off the top of your head? Well, um, I, you know, the, the big thing that stands out, there's two things, really. The, the, the one is that the new moon takes place in a very close opposition with Jupiter um, in Aries. And I you know, without, I don't want to, I don't dive right into it, but I think that that opposition toning the moon cycle ahead is really important. That's sort of like, you know, probably one or one A or B in, in terms of like the most important signatures um, for the lunation cycle. And then <clears throat> um, I think that uh, the fact that Mercury retrograde is coming through a uh, started off in Libra and Venus's sign, and they have that mutual reception. Right. It comes through the Kazemi at the equinox, which is a very empowered moment for Mercury to be Kazemi. And then it backs into its exaltation, conjoins with the fallen Venus, who then swaps places and enters Libra into her own domicile. And I see that exchange as in like a part of the picture of what's unfolding within the lunation cycle, especially since the lunation begins in Venus's sign and Venus is down on her luck, so to speak, but then hits that exalted Mercury who's just been empowered and then flips back into a rulership. So 
I, I, I think all of that, like teasing out what all of that means along with the opposition to Jupiter is what I've been looking at personally. Yeah, it's a pretty tight opposition with Jupiter there, isn't it? And we've had a couple planets that have gone through that opposition already. Um, well, Mercury in particular, I would say we've we've been grinding back and forth <laughs> over that's that been, opposition. It's been a, a hoot. Yeah, this Mercury retrograde. I, I wonder if this has been true for you, but I, I've heard a lot of stories of a lot of schedule challenges with this one in particular. Has that been, played out for you? Well, okay, just to give you an example, since since you asked, um, so. We have, you know, every year I do some fundraising for, through my YouTube channel, and then we have projects that we, you know, we put the funds toward to, to build the business or to build things for the community or whatever. And we, two years ago and last year, were um, raising money to build a community teaching gifting garden for Ashley's work as an herbalist and with the intention of continuing to work the connection between planets and plants together at a deeper level. Well, <clears throat> long story short, we found out that um, our property comes right up against the edge of, on, it's actually on our property, but it comes right up against the edge of uh, federally protected wetlands. Oh no. <laughs> right? So we oh, no. raised all this money to build a garden only to find out that like, you can't because it's federally right. protected wetlands. So then what we did was we we asked the question, well, it doesn't look like all of our property is on the wetlands. So like, you know, what can we do? And we had to go through this basically a year long process of working with the county, testing soil um, to find out where the, the technically speaking, the federally protected wetlands ends and places where we could build begins. So after mm -hmm. going through all of that, um, we uh, we had to find a way of getting the equipment down through the woods into the backyard because our house doesn't offer access. So we had to go through, we had to see if we could get through a neighbor's yard. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we, we went through a neighbor's yard, but we, when we asked permission, we asked permission from someone who was renting the home, not oh, no. the owner, <laughs> oh, no. right? And we didn't think it was that big of a deal because it wasn't destroying anything. And it was sure. going through the woods, like behind their house. Well, it turns out that, you know, there's a, a professional athlete who owns the home and he's a younger man and his uh, very difficult mother uh, got in touch with us and first of all, decided to tell us that we, you know, you can't use it and we're going to sue you and all this uh -oh. stuff because we would use it. <laughs> oh, no. uh, and this is just going through woods with some very light equipment. It's not right. a big deal. So uh, she was like completely freaking out. And, um, and then, we she ended up although we told her everything we were doing explained it so you know sorry we got permission from the wrong person we didn't know blah 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 and uh we had like the, the, the there's like a posse of like older like 70s to 80s residents in our neighborhood who along with her were also like calling the police because they thought we were destroying the wetlands they didn't know that we had actually measured where we could and couldn't build that we'd been through a whole they just assumed the worst that we were destroying ducks homes or something sure. and so all this process went on and she finally said, well, you know, you have to uh, pay us per day of use. And it, and like, so it added wow. more to the budget and it delayed it. And every single time that Mercury through its direct motion, through its retrograde motion, and I suspect through its direct motion, again, hit that opposition to Jupiter, we were negotiating with her the terms of having to pay her to use a stupid path through the woods. That's not hurting anything. Wow. Yeah. Sounds very, um, you know, having to ask permission for an, in, you know, more of a, 
expansive uh, initiatory type of project, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's funny because if you back if you backtrack Jupiter in in Aries 12 years ago, Ashley and I were launching our yoga studio and we also had to gain permission from we were renting a house and we had to gain permission from both the county and from the owners of the house to use the house for designated for business for a yoga studio. We had to reamend the, the contract and everything like that and it was a big to do and that was also right when Jupiter entered Aries. Wow. Yeah, well, you're not alone, friend. I've I've been having situations of shared shared ownership versus individual initiative, uh, and the conflicts that come up with that, and having to make negotiations and compromises and things of that nature. Um, I think that's the main, like, the most simplistic way we can talk about this astrology is there's probably situations where a compromise will need to be made, and negotiations maybe need to be made in a project that could be a great start to something really amazing um, we're just having to kind of go through uh, you know the law <laughs> like the rules the other right on some level all of yeah. those things i wanted to say too Atruta, when my mercury retrograde story is that i decided to do a mercury retrograde q a on this channel live uh last yeah, week I saw that. <laughs> which was which was exactly at the heliacal setting of of mercury um and the internet went out for six hours pretty much the whole entire time it would have been doing the thing and it came right back on right when it would have been done <laughs> so <laughs> that was, that's what i get for uh, scheduling mercury retrograde that's at that period of time it was it was astrology in action so um okay so achuta let me run down um a few of the technical details of this actually before i do that i want to stop my share for a minute can you, before we dive into the details of this new moon, can you, you, you do a really great job of contextualizing the seasonal connection with the signs. This is one of the things I really loved about your class was you were, you were, you had a philosophical way of looking at the equinoxes, both spring and fall, the transition with light and dark and, and things of that nature. Can you talk a little bit about Libra and the fall equinox just in general? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you know, so those, the, the, the Zodiac is, is really a story, as far as I understand, sort of reading between the lines of the ancient texts, that it's a story about the alternation, as well as the weaving of the solar and lunar principles. And, you know, that takes place on so many different levels, masculine and feminine uh, signs, the sun and the moon's sects, you know, so on and so forth. But the four, the equinoxes and solstices are really the story about the alternation of light and dark that constitutes the, the solar year, which primarily is not about seasons, but is about uh, the archetypes of, you know, yin and yang or, or the light and dark as philosophical or metaphysical principles, which have seasonal correlates, but are primarily like philosophical um, combinations. So when you think about Libra, what you're what you're getting into is the transition from the, the light half of the year, which is Aries through Virgo, where there's more light in the 24 hour period than there is darkness. And that's regardless of what the seasonal, like the weather or temperatures look like, or what kinds of plants grow, because there would be a lot of variation in the Northern hemisphere and the different places where astrology was practiced with regard to the, to the seasonal weather. Um, you know, it's a little summer looks a little different in, you know, 
Egypt than it does in Europe or whatever. So, but, but the idea being that regardless of where you are in the Northern hemisphere, there is more light than there is darkness from zero Aries through the very end of Virgo. When you get to Libra, you are now entering into what you might, I like to call the yin dominant half of the year. And I like to say yin dominant because the words masculine and feminine are sort of problematic for our, our modern sensibilities. So it's like, you know, it's it's the dark principle, which is uh, maybe feminine on an energetic or archetypal level, um, but it's entering into that darker half of the year. Um, and Libra signifies the the moment at which the light and dark are equal, but but the properly speaking, the equinox moment is the handover to the dark half. Right. Um, and that has a huge variety of different meanings. Of course, it can it can be moral. I mean, most of the time we hear light and dark, we go to a moral understanding. Light means good and dark means bad. That's not really how ancient astrologers thought about light and dark exclusively. That, that could be one designation that light and dark have, in which case Libra could be ushering us into um, the darkness and and then a, a concern for morality becomes central to the to Libra as a sign. Fairness, justice, morality, these are all you know traits of Libra. But um, <clears throat> also uh, the difference between external uh, appearances and the inner substance of something that that is a quintessential um, yin. Right, that that the yin has something to do with the, uh, the the shape that something takes. The whether it's you know to think of something gestating in the mother's womb and then taking shape. It's a that's a yin thing, but right. it takes shape in accord with its inner nature. Um, and so the, the 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 distinction between an, a superficial appearance and the inner substance of something is also generally speaking um, associated with. Libra and the darkness taking over and uh, things like discernment or wise, careful judgment or noticing the difference between um, something that is vain and superficial or something that's like substantive and, and real. So there's all of these different layers to Libra that, you know, ultimately they relate back to you know, what does it mean that darkness has, has taken over that the in a sense, although it's a picture of the scales, the scales have tipped to darkness. Sure. Um, and then that might mean the evaluation of the soul upon its entrance into the underworld and, and mm-hmm. death. And, the, you know, like, so there's just all of these beautiful, uh, you know, layers to Libra that I think they all kind of fundamentally relate to what does it mean that within this great circle of light and dark, that darkness is now dominant? Mm. Yes, this is why I asked this question, because you have a really great way of contextualizing those seasons, seasonal shifts, light, light interplay with darkness um, you know, it really helped me understand the relationship of the sun and its exaltation in Aries, where the light starts to become dominant, and then the exaltation of Saturn in Libra, where we're seeing, you know, contraction energy, you know, things are starting to pull back into the earth, and we're seeing the limits of of growth, and that shift to, I don't know, a kind of a composting energy rather than one of growth. Um, I, I've been feeling this, and I wonder if you can confirm this too, that I feel like when we get to Libra season, all the projects that we've been working on in, in Virgo season, trying to really get the ending of the material process, it's like, all right, you've gotten the work done. Now it's time to like, you know, give it to the world and, and for them to judge and say, all right, here it is. <laughs> like, did we do good or did we, you know, on some level? Have you, have you experienced that in the transition between Virgo to Libra? Yeah. 
yeah yeah it's it's um yeah it's the harvest moment and right. and, and so there's that sense of preparing for judgment or approaching or impending judgment and like the nervousness of that in yeah. Virgo and then this sort of you know you you reap what you sow and there's this kind of like like a the the, the celestial judge you know <laughs> of Libra it's like yeah. uh yeah yeah and I'm glad you brought up um you know the entrance into the underworld because that's something that um I feel is really important to Libra's story too when we study Hellenistic astrology, we're looking at the, the Thema Mundi quite a bit as a teaching tool, the philosophical natal chart of the world. And we have Libra on the fourth house cusp of that Thema Mundi, right? So we have kind of everything that is underneath the surface on some level. Um, I believe that Manilius, one of your, your favorite uh, you know, authors, um, talks about Saturn having a particular joy in that house, which is slightly different than the other scheme of joys. But it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Things that are under the ground, um, entering into that underworld that the Egyptians thought was a place of judgment, weighing the heart against the, the weight of a feather. Um, what, what do you, how, how can you connect that fourth house of, I don't know, I almost think of it as a place of rest on some level as well with Libra. <clears throat> yeah, well, it's the midway, or well, it's a place where two things happen, right? The the planet that has gone all the way through the sky comes back down to the fourth house through the diurnal motion, and in a sense has completed its journey and is in a resting place. But it's from that resting place that it then commences its rising again. Yeah. And so um, this place of judgment and then, you know, getting ejected out of the underworld and back into, uh, you know, another womb. Yeah. <laughs> like, it makes sense to me that the womb is the fourth house and, and the grave is the fourth house. Mm, absolutely. And that Libra has some, you know, <laughs> it, it presides over um, that moment for, for many different ancient cultures. Like that there's some judgment of the soul's deeds. I mean, Plato talks about that. The Hermeticists talk about that. And then you have Indian astrologers talking about that. There's the, the bardos in Buddhism and the, you know, the Egyptian book of the dead. And there's all of these different traditions that talk about the, that death brings us into this liminal space where there might be a cleansing, there might be a, a reaping of what's sown. And then there's like a, a reconfiguring and preparing for the, the continued transmigration. Yeah. I I really enjoy how that Thema Mundi helps us to understand things like the 10th house, where if we had Aries on that cusp, it's, it's the most visible place in the sky, right? And we have the sun that is showing us that visibility and shining light on our, on our deeds publicly, potentially. And then we are in this place of darkness underneath, underneath the horizon with the fourth house. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to say about Mott, because Mott was something that really stood out to me as, as a, a, an avatar for, for Libra on some level. Um, when I was studying Libra, it came to my attention that Mott is not just a goddess of justice, of fairness, but Mott was a concept in um, ancient Egypt uh, philosophy. So I always, my joke with Mott is, are you familiar with that song by John Lennon that is it's called God where he goes God is a concept by which we measure yeah. our pain mm -hmm. I, I I'd like to say Mott is a concept 
by which we measure our blame. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're weighing that hard against the uh, the weight of the feather. But but to them, it was a it was a, an idealistic thing. And we have Libra with the scales as one of the only signs that isn't like an, an animal or a personified thing. It's an object. It's a, it's a philosophical thing. And I wonder if you could speak also about the perfectionism of an ideal, because that was something that was a real like aha moment in your class as well, is when you were talking about the perfectionism of the air signs versus like maybe uh, Virgo on some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it really helps to go back into the difference between Saturn and the sun. Yeah, um, I think that this helps people like conceptualize it better. Um, and a really great point about um, uh, Libra being a man-made object and uh, a, a conceptual or, or a, there's a value and like a philosophy and, a, and an idea that's in this object, um, which is why it's a human sign. The air signs are all human, but it it's also... Uh, very, it's it's a it's not human in the way that um, you know you you might think of Virgo as human, right? So it's a very earthy sign. But so, um, but it helps to think about Saturn and the Sun. So if you think about how, the, which are archetypal opposites, right? You've got Saturn's sign opposite the Sun's sign. You've got Saturn's exaltation opposite the Sun's exaltation. Uh, Aries and Libra, Aquarius and Leo. Um, <clears throat> so. How does Saturn, how does the sun perceive itself? How does the sun see itself? And how does the sun see Saturn? Well, it doesn't see Saturn because it's self-luminous and it just sees its own light. Mm -hmm. like, you can imagine if you were the sun, what would you see? Well, you'd just be blinded by your own nature, really, sure, sure. Um, and in a sense. And, and so if you think of like sitting in the position of the sun in the solar system, it's like you're just self-luminous and you're absorbed in your own nature to the extent that you really can't see anything else this is every leo looking in the mirror right 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 right, right. <laughs> well, i'm asking you their glory there i am and then if you um but by contrast if you think of saturn sitting out yeah. of the dimmest most distant planet when it looks at the sun it says look it's just a ball of light you know yeah. it has an objective view sure. so what saturn offers us when we think about an ideal the, the problem with an ideal philosophically, and Taoists talk about this, the I Ching talks about this, philosophers throughout the entire Western tradition have talked about this, is that an ideal always exists on in, in a way as a distant thing that is unobtainable, mm. because it is by its very nature uh, um, contrary to being absorbed in something. Sure. You know, as soon as you have an ideal, if Saturn, for example, is a distant, uh, an image of something that is distant and let's say for many, uh, you know, ancient mystics, Saturn wasn't just a bummer. Saturn was the planet that sat on the edge of the realm of the divine. Hmm. So, and it occupied, for example, uh, you know, Dante's highest sphere of heaven was Saturn's realm. Right. So as the, as the highest ideal, Saturn is also like that in both Aquarius and Libra's exaltation, it stands as an idealistic planet. The problem with an ideal is that it's always in the future. The hmm. problem with an ideal is it exists apart from whatever you're absorbed in. So it takes you out of absorption to have an ideal. Um, at the same time, 
you need an an ideal or you need something like Saturn, I should say, because it also takes you, it, it has the ability to take you out of absorption. So if you have an ego, Saturn opposes your son, it'll check you and make you say, yeah, you know, you're just a dude, you're just a gal, you know, and, and uh, you've been so full of a particular archetype, you've been possessed by it. Now here's some perspective and it shows you the thing that you've been absorbed in from this like distance. And in that sense, it it shows you the ideal with which you've been, that you've been possessed by. So mm-hmm. life is idealistic because anytime we're possessed by an archetype, we're in an ideal, we're possessed by one. But when we say someone is idealistic, what we also mean is that they may be incapable of being absorbed in anything because they keep holding something out as a distant, but unachievable um, aim. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. And you, you and I just went through the Sun Saturn opposition a few years ago. So fun times. <laughs> yeah, it is not fun. <laughs> like it, it is definitely a humbling experience um, where you are getting some objectivity and your ego is uh, getting crushed like a little gnat <laughs> like yeah. over and yeah. over again. Um, yeah, and you know that's that perspective on Saturn has really helped me understand not only Libra, but Aquarius in particular as well, um, as the the other air sign that Saturn has some influence in, as kind of this, almost this glass ceiling of idealism, right? Where it's like, you know, I, I believe that our friend Charles Olbert in his book talks about Saturn giving the blueprint to Jupiter to, to, uh, bring, to manifest with and saying, these are the rules of manifestation. Now go and beget you know, mm-hmm. the relationship between those two. And that's why it's so important when Saturn and Jupiter come together in that conjunction. Um, okay, so let's shift gears real quick here. That is amazing. I am always love talking just philosophical things with you. You have a great philosophical mind. Um, how about we take the, uh, the big picture and we start narrowing in on some of, the, some of the smaller details here. What do you say? Let's do it. Uh, so we're looking again at the chart of the new moon on, on September the 25th. Uh, and just a couple of details for this, and maybe I can get your thoughts on this when we go through these. So we have the host of the moon in aversion to the new moon. So that, I feel, is an important thing to point out. Um, so here we have the new moon, two degrees of Libra, and Venus does not witness that new moon. Now, I wanted to get your opinion on this because this is something that I've, I've often been very curious about since I heard uh, our good friend Martin Hermes talk about this on your channel. Um, he says that when a planet can't witness its domicile lord, its exaltation lord takes over providing resources. Um, how do you feel about that doctrine and how might that affect this particular new moon if you... Um, if you agree with that. Well, you know, one of the things that is also a confusing point for me is whether or not we would consider this to be um, an an aversion because both the moon and sun are going into contra-antitia with Venus. Interesting. So like that little piece confuses me. I honestly don't know the answer because it's like, well, uh, yeah, Venus debilitated uh, you know, and not seeing the moon does not strike me as a, as a good thing, yeah. but there's a few <clears throat> to me, the fact that 
Mercury is retrograding back into Venus and that 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 Mercury and Venus are going to catch contraantitias with the sun and the moon like immediately after the new moon. Okay. Um that's interesting. It's also I mean it's interesting that at the time of the new moon you've also got <clears throat> um the uh antitia between Mercury and Jupiter. Um, and then Mercury is effectively bringing the beneficence of Jupiter to Venus. And again, Mercury being so well dignified and then Venus immediately going into Libra afterwards. I get the feeling that this is, um, aside from your, I'll try to answer that question that, about what Martin Hermes said about relying on Saturn rather than Venus. But I get the feeling that it's like, yeah, this moon cycle starts off with Venus in a hole, but there's some kind of quick, there's resources that come to Venus's aid rather quickly and turn things around. And that, that that's a, a symbolic story that I think plays out this moon cycle. But then as to the question about whether or not you would look to the exaltation ruler, if the, if, you know, Venus isn't really beholding the new moon, uh, in which case Saturn, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, um, to me, uh, that makes sense. Like I, I would, I would look to, I think you could look to both anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that that, that could make sense in which case there's a whole sign trine. Um, I I'm curious about the fact that Saturn is retrograde and moving into a trine with Mars as well. Sure. It seems like those two being harmoniously configured is also a, a, a sign of there being the need for some kind of effort or work or repair or like um concentrated effort to make something happen which would imply that the moon cycle starts off with behind the eight ball a little bit yeah. but that then the resources become available somehow yeah dis disciplined action on some level right with that trine yeah. um you know and, and it's it's fascinating with that venus at getting very close to her degree of maximum fall i guess you would say at 28 degrees of virgo you know, there are some authors that do decanic work um, that talk about trying to preserve things against the, the, the concept of entropy or decay. And when Venus is doing this, it's like going to extremes to preserve youth and beauty, but having it be done in a way that's corrupted. To, to me, it, I've always used the example of like the extremes of plastic surgery or something like that with Venus in the last degrees of Virgo. I'm thinking like, you know, Michael Jackson, like going too far with some of these things on some level. Um, how do you, how can we flip the script on that? Do you agree with that? Is there any way we can see uh, benefit in Venus moving through this area as well? <clears throat> Are there benefits to plastic surgery? Well, not plastic surgery, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, I was making yeah. fun of you because you had a, a what an eye thing that you did. Like I had a uh, LASIK. Yeah, I had yeah. LASIK done. Yeah, um, and I was like, oh, you're gonna do that during your Venus and Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it worked out though, right? It, yeah, yeah, okay. it worked out. Uh, I think. Um, anyway, I'll say more about that transit. Sure. I'm starting to go down a yeah, no, more, no, no problem. Uh, the um, so wait, what was the question again? Sorry, I got lost. So how do you view Venus and, and her challenges in Virgo? And is there any, for our Venus and Virgo natives, how do we turn that energy into something we can possibly use? Or what do we have to come to terms with, with that position? How can we have a balanced viewpoint of it? Hmm. Um, 
Well, I think of Venus in, <clears throat> I think of Venus in Virgo as one of the things that Venus in Virgo struggles with is going to be the polar opposite nature of Mercury. So right. if you think about um, Venus is, um, uh, for example, Venus's answer to Venus and Virgo's answer to um, feeling unattractive might be to de develop an eating disorder. Sure. Uh, Venus, or, or go too far with plastic surgery or something right. like that. So I think, um, <clears throat> I think it's possible that Venus is struggling with the uh, pleasure, desire, beauty, and um, being in one's head about it, right. you know, being struggling to um, overthinking something that should be more sensual and organic, um, which sometimes will translate into, you know, difficulties in relationships, like any kind of relationship, whether it's at the workplace or a romantic relationship where um, you're, uh, you're trying to control or manage things mentally and that always tends to that tends to ruin it yeah it's like if you're going out on a on a date with someone um and your nervous energy takes over you you're not able to enjoy the person and the person starts having a hard time enjoying you sure <clears throat> so well, i'm, you, I'm thinking like looking for someone's flaws rather than accepting them right right or or yeah. you're anticipating that they may be seeing yours and so you start trying to compensate for them sure. but then it's obvious that you're doing so and suddenly you're in your heads and there's no enjoyment you know yeah for so sure. I, I i think like this this new moon in libra strikes me as you know eloquent poised beautiful uh you know and and maybe even trying to with the opposition to Jupiter at its best, trying to start something. Mm -hmm. um, Venus might be dealing with some insecurities or feeling, uh, you know, she's in her head too much about it or something like that and needs, um, you know, it's it's as though what, what I see Mercury coming in to conjoin Venus, I think of Venus getting some reassurance somehow. Yeah. Um, and then coming back into her her confidence and a sort of nat natural quality that takes over. I like that. Uh, and, and, you know, something else to think about here is that Venus is just coming off of an opposition with Neptune at this new moon as well. Yeah. 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 That, that actually makes me think, Spencer, of yeah. um, idealism again. Right. You know, that Venus is Venus is moving toward her home in Libra. The new moon is in Libra. We already said how Libra can be very idealistic. Well, this is of of Venus who's dealing with um like muddy shoes in a in a in a pristine house or something. Yeah. It's it's you know, it's a very earthy Venus and passing across the opposition to Neptune, it's like things are not completely ideal somehow, or there's disillusionment, or you know, Venus is dealing with flaws and blemishes. And um, are we gonna make peace with them, allow for them? Is there some aid or resource we can use to improve upon them? Uh, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing that's popping out to me intuitively with this is that one thing I've seen with Virgo is almost an inherent disgust mechanism or like a revulsion, which is necessary to be able to, to see the flaws in the, in the fruit, to be able to see what is worth preserving and what is 
you know, needs to be discarded back to the earth. But to me, Venus, and this is something that we talked about in your class quite a bit, Venus being of the lunar sect, uh, it is related to Tuke and fortune, where the, the good fortune comes to you and learning to receive things. But it seems like Mercury might actively try to like, you know, keep, keep, you know, needling things when it, it, we should allow things to come to us, right? Yeah, I think um, there's something about uh, Venus being restless and feeling like ill, ill-equipped and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I suspect that because Mercury is coming from Venus's sign and they did have mutual reception, that there's um, like a compromise or making peace with something or fixing something that's been broken. For example, um, we, okay, so we have a very, um, uh, you know, um, what am I saying? A windowsill next to the door of our house and our puppy, she's a cabochon. She's like a little white dog. And she sits there, you know, and watches when people come up or whatever. And she recently, we were gone visiting my sister and, you know, she chewed the crap out of part of the windowsill because she was in the house by herself for some hour blocks between the dog sitter that was here, like being out and about and her family's gone. And so she got nervous and she started chewing the windowsill. Um, So uh, what's interesting to me is that the, the time in which the guy is coming over to replace part of the windowsill that she chewed up is going to happen right as Mercury is conjoining that fallen Venus. Oh no. (laughs) Right. So it's like, well, it, it, it's, it would signify repair, you know, sure. something. And then, and then immediately Venus transitions back into Libra and it looks, it's, it's nice. Pristine right? Again, right? It's yeah. pristine again. Right. So, so that's those, those little images are the ones that I, I keep noticing in little things in uh, like my client stories or stuff right. like that. I'm hoping this will play out in my uh, fantasy football roster. <laughs> with my with my initial disgust with my picks that were underperforming i uh, picked up quite a few players on the waiver wire this week and hopefully after venus you know rockets into libra we'll be back on track see i told you we were going to bring that into the into the discussion today i'm in last place right now for those of you who are wondering uh, and chuta who has done this many times what are you first or second right now third third oh okay sorry (laughs) not after this week yeah i'm just kidding well i in my defense i don't think i quite understood the rules of the game completely and uh if i hope that if i give my my brain enough time to chew on the actual how it works uh that i will be able to make some better decisions moving forward it uh yeah my first year playing I, I was like last place and then you know the second or third year playing like it's just like any other game you just figure sure. it out as you go sure well and that's i think that's interesting with this new moon is you know we've been spending a lot of time maybe seeing what our process is like and maybe now we're getting to the point where we may understand how to create balance and harmony within that um okay let's let's keep rolling one of the things i wanted to bring up um, first, I'm looking through the chat, and I'm seeing there are a couple questions. Um, let me see. Jody is asking, is Antitia and Contra Antitia comparable to sextiles and trines, which I understand as weaker transits? What do you think about that, Achuta? 
Um, you know, um, no, they're, they're uh, antitias and contra antitias are, are thought of as some, somewhat secretive in nature because they're not making a visual line of sight between each other. At least most of them aren't. And then, um, uh, antitia would be more of a secretive form of conjunction, whereas, uh, contra antitia would be more of a secretive or subtle form of opposition. And there's some deeper explanations for that. But in this case, the point would be that this contra antitia would form a little bit of an opposition between Venus and the new moon cycle, which again tells us that whatever the ideal, the Venusian Saturnian ideal is, which is an ideal of beauty, or let's say, or this ideal of something desirable, the ideal relationship, the ideal shape or form or something like that, the ideal ethic or morality right. that Venus is opposed. It's like, <laughs> I'm sleeping around. I don't care what you, you know, you, sure, you think it's, sure. uh, you know, I'm going to be promiscuous or, or you know, it's, uh, you like your nice windowsill, I'm going to chew the crack out of it, you know? <laughs> in it, in secret. I, yeah, I think it has the feeling of Venus venus being somewhat opposed to an ideal that's being held up yeah. and um falling short of it somehow but then maybe recovering or negotiating and getting getting a compromise okay very good okay so let's talk a little bit maybe you can give me some of your thoughts on this what we do on this show fairly regularly is bring some of the tarot significations into this and what we're looking at with this new moon is the two of swords which we see a figure that some have compared to Mott at the threshold of the underworld. Um, and one of the things that I find interesting about studying things in, in decans or 10 degree sections is there's a little bit of a narrative that plays out in the particular uh, decan story from the beginning to the end. And what we see in the first decan of Libra is an awareness of injustices or imbalances to be created corrected as we go through the Libra journey on some level. And there's a daimon or spirit associated with this Deccan called the Uranies. Are you familiar with the Uranies? Yes. <laughs> right. And the Uranies are uh, goddesses, uh, terrible monster goddesses that punished injustices that went unpunished by the law. So people would pray to them uh, for to to, you know, get even or to get justice in situations where they felt, you know, jilted or things of that nature. So they were also the personification of curses. So I wanted to ask you, Achuta, you you have a couple placements in this decan, in this particular place, right? You have Jupiter and Saturn in this particular decan. Have you felt in your life that you have had had the the impetus to take on the role of the Uranus? Have things come up to you where you felt that? Uh, awareness of injustices that maybe went in your younger days, you really got fired up about things that were unfair or things of that nature. How do you experience it? No, that's interesting. Yeah, not like not like I'm I'm God's instrument for revenge, like a like um Batman or something. You know, not, <laughs> sure. nothing like you are the knight. <laughs> I know, like um, I I I think uh. Well, you know, my I wrote a book uh, called Fishers of Men, the Gospel of an Ayahuasca Vision Quest. Mm -hmm. And this book was published in 2010. And the book was a very public exploration of my father's, you know, fall from the Christian faith, 
in uh, promiscuity and uh, mental health collapse. And, you know, um, it was a, you know, it was a terrible thing to like, like witness. And I remember writing it under with the feeling that like the, the truth needs to be told. Not that I was trying to drag my, hang my dad out to dry or anything. I asked for his permission to, to publish it, you know, um, and he uh, agreed and stuff like that. But uh, that book was also an exploration of the karma of um, my grandfather and my father mm. and the fundamentalist Christianity that was running through my family. And I was a preacher's kid and stuff. So that that felt like, um, uh, you know, and it was published during my Saturn return. Uh, so, you know, so I think <laughs> activating that placement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and there was, uh, there was a significant moment of, uh, transgression in my own life during my Saturn return, something that I had done previously in my life, like a, like a transgression, like a moral mistake that I made. And that came to bear on my life during my Saturn return in a very powerful way. I won't, I won't recap that um, because I've been through it and it's embarrassing, (laughs) but (laughs) but I I made a mistake. And during my Saturn return, um, it was not something, you know, it wasn't something that I I made a mistake that was punishable by law though. Like it, but it was a transgression that, you know, I think that I never, I never um, accounted for. And I didn't really even have an awareness of the fact that it was a transgression. And that was a big part of my Saturn return was owning up to that and dealing with that and and learning and growing from that. And so when I think about that, what you're saying in in the fact that I have Saturn in that Deccan uh, during my Saturn return, that those things happen, it, it does make a lot of sense. So the Uranus found you actually. Yeah, I'd say that my book was kind of like the Uranus making because, you know, my father was a very public figure. So, you know, it was like there was a lot of family stuff that were hidden behind the veneer of like a religious family that were exposed publicly. But to to me, the fact that I had my father's permission was not it was not an attempt to punish anyone on my part. But it seems like that you could say the Uranus were at work and all of that. Yeah. Um, And but then they 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 came for me, too, during that period. And I had to own up to something that was difficult. Wow. So balance was restored <laughs> in both of those situations, right? You, I think you, so. <laughs> you were both the um, the recipient of the Uranus wrath and also maybe played an, a role in kind of, you know, not wrath necessarily, but maybe exposing an injustice that had gone unpunished in the past as well, right? Yeah. Well, and in fact, there was one portion of my book that I felt was very vindictive on my part yeah. that was an attempt to punish and hold someone accountable that I thought did something that wasn't very good. And this was in the ayahuasca shamanism scene. Sure. And um, I, 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 the book was ready to go. And I went to the editor and I sat down and I asked him if I could insert uh, a revision so that the the passage was not coming was truthful but not coming from a, the same vindictive space that I had written it in and he was like no we're too late in the process and oh, I was no. like and, oh, no. and I was like I started crying in the yeah. office in the editor's office at Penguin right. and I said I, I can't do this like I'm telling you when I wrote this it was with the desire to see this person hurt by right. what I'm saying and I can't write it like that. I have to redo it. And I I don't want it published if I can't redo it that way. And he was upset with me. 
Um, but he did let me redo that part. And so I wrote it truthfully, but from a compassionate place. And that was also right in the middle of my Saturn return. You know, that, that makes me think of a way that we might be able to deal with this new moon potentially, especially with Mercury retrograde. I have a feeling that there may be some instances out there where we might have that feeling of wanting to exert wrath and to punish and to get revenge and we may have to utilize our pronoia or our ability to see um, and have vision to maybe come from more of a compassionate place on some level right yes yeah i mean if you think about the fallen venus um like one example of the fallen venus really prominent example is martha stewart right. who has uh, libra in her 12th house and so, and then Venus in her fall in the 11th, she takes bad insider trading advice from a friend, from an ally, an 11th house figure, and goes to jail for it. Um, there's something about that combination of, you know, the, 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 the Venus in Virgo and the, the Libra pairing that strike me as a you know, potentially similar, like, would it surprise me to see the downfall of a famous female figure, public scandalous, something like that during this transit? No, like that would be very fitting for this. However, I could see, I could also see someone coming forward and saying, I have to be real or honest about something. Yeah. Again, maybe a famous female, you know, uh, celebrity or something. But like, there's, there's maybe there's being held accountable. Maybe there's also taking account, like being accountable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that makes me think too about the journey that we go through in Libra, according to the tarot. In the in the second decan, we are, you know, because we are aware of injustices, we're trying to bring balance and bring <clears throat> commitment through an oath or a contract, especially an oath. Back in ancient Greek times. There wasn't as much written contracts because not everybody knew how to write. So your word was like a blood oath. And if you broke your oath there, you know, it was punishable by, by death, <laughs> you know, basically. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's, you know, we may be heading into that uh, at the full moon, right? Where we have it, where we make an agreement, we make an oath, we make a contract to try to right this injustice. But the, th but the thing that I wanted to add to this is in the third decan, we have the four of swords energy where we see, the ability to not just necessarily bring peace externally. It's more about peace internally brings about the, the peace externally. So I think that one of the things that I've really learned, I have part of spirit in the third decade of Libra, is that you know people talk about meeting your fate in relationship to the part of spirit, is that I find myself in situations of chaos quite often. And I used to get really upset and angry, and I used to get like, woe is me, why is this chaos happening? But I've since learned that maybe through my own centeredness, through my own inner peace or attempt at it, because it's not, <laughs> it's, it's a practice, right? Uh, that maybe I I'm, can bring that to situations rather than um, always bemoaning my fate of, of coming into these situations of imbalance. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean the when we um, when we are idealistic, which is fine, but one of the downsides is that when something when when there's an outcome 
and the outcome doesn't conform to the expectation or the ideal image, you know, then there's, there's disappointment and then there's blame and then, you know, all of that. And I think that it, it's like, how can we learn to live with ideals? But then when something doesn't conform to the shape or image of the ideal that we remain curious and interested right. because that curiosity and that interest are, it's almost like that's what the planets as the judges, the great judges in the sky see as evidence that, that the, the, the outcome doesn't need to be pushed farther to deliver a message. It's, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, you didn't like that outcome, but you're letting go and staying interested. You're accepting our judgment. You're accepting our outcome. And the acceptance of the outcome seems to be instantly, it absolves us. It it pardons us somehow. Mm. One of the things that's coming up in the chat, Achuta, that is related to this two of swords card is is the blindfold that we see on lady justice or on whatever figure is related to um, being a judge of some sort can you comment on why justice would have the symbolism of being blind well she's kinky (laughs) 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 oh she's got the the chains (laughs) right Oh man! All right, keeping it keeping it PG. No. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not, really, honestly, this audience, we don't necessarily have to keep it PG. We, <laughs> sincerity is is good. Levity is good because we're talking about heavy things. So, um, and that's one thing I wanted to point out. Um, I wanted to ask you about this, especially with your uh, Saturn and Jupiter placements. I've I've noticed um, just a little bit of a shift in in your personal energy where it seems to be that you've almost committed to having fun, if that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah. So is, is there something that was conscious with that? Oh, uh, you know, there are some things that I am in the process of, you know, like personal things in my personal life that yeah. I'm just, you know, usually I, I do, I like, I like to share elements of my personal journey with, you know, my students or my audience or whatever. And there have been some very big personal changes for me um, this year. And I'm just slowly starting to um, talk about those more openly, you know, like, and, and, and stuff like that. But in the new year, um, I, I plan to be, there's some, some, I don't know, some announcements about me, my life, my work, and some sure. changes that I'll be implementing like that, that are probably reflective of, of your observation. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, essentially I just did a video recently called the curse of seriousness. That's what I was saying. I, I, I saw this video and I was like, wow. <laughs> Cause, yeah. Cause I, you know, in the time that we've spent in the physical time that we've spent together at conferences and whatnot, um, you're such a hard worker and I know that you take your craft so seriously and I saw you in the middle of like one of the most painful experiences of your life with that kidney stone. And you're just like, I got to grind this workout. And <laughs> I'm just, and I'm noticing just the, some levity with you that, that I hadn't noticed before that is, it's really refreshing actually. I, it's, um, it's, it's really a nice counterbalance to that other energy in the past. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's, I, as a, as a native with an exalted Saturn, um, 
you know, I've always taken seriousness very seriously. Sure. And, uh, and I think that, um, you know, Jupiter opposing those planets right now, as we're speaking in, in my natal chart and, um, some other transits too. Neptune trining my sun. There's a, there's been about Saturn opposing my ascendant ruler, Uranus squaring my ascendant ruler. Um, it's been um, a year of, and I'm also, I'm getting settled back into my roots here in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, Pluto's gotten off from the opposition to my son. Saturn got off the opposition to my son. So yeah, it's just been, I think it's been a, a, a like recognizing uh, that, um, you know, lightness is like the medicine that, that I, that I need, you know? Yeah, totally. Well, I, I'm enjoying it. We're we're broing out on fantasy football here and there, which is uh, I got to I got to admit, and I'll say this publicly: it's sometimes very difficult to find male friendships in your 40s, you know, and in your middle age. And that's just been something I've really been valuing um, lately, like with folks like you and and some other friends that I have that I've been reconnecting with on some level. It's just such a really nice thing that I think a lot of times men particularly in america get lost in the shuffle around this age um as far as our responsibilities with family and professional and otherwise mm -hmm. and it's it's nice to kind of feel that kind of youthful quality of friendship yeah yeah for sure and um and both cancers too there you go <laughs> there you go all right so back to to libra for a second here um there's two other myths that Liz Green I points out that I wanted to just touch on real quickly. Uh, I really love her book, The Astrology of Fate, which I, I think that I've heard that you are also a fan of. Um, <laughs> really great book. book. Really great book. And she, she talks about um, not only Mott in her writings, but she talks about both Paris, who was the judge of the, the golden apple, where he had to basically judge who was, quote unquote, the, the fairest um when uh, uh, in relationship to a to the goddesses Hera Athena and Aphrodite and he really had to go through these he was offered all of these things right he was offered power and wealth and rulership by Hera victory in battle by Athena uh and beauty and love by Aphrodite the, the most beautiful woman in the world and he ended up choosing love and one of the things that I think that is really fascinating that Liz Green pointed out was part of Libra's indecision that they talk about in modern astrology or whatnot. Uh, she she likens it to per Paris's fear of the wrath of the choice that he didn't make, right? Uh, because he has this awareness of so many angles, he was afraid of upsetting the 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 one he didn't choose. And I wonder if you could comment on that, and then maybe if you would. Um, fold into that uh, a comment on the the blindness of justice on some level as well <laughs> that's really interesting yeah um <clears throat> that yeah i like i like where you went with that okay so here's a great example uh recently the the there was a mars uh sun square i think it was sun in virgo mars in gemini mm -hmm. um and I did a I did a grabbed episode where I have storytelling from people who who share you know uh, transit stories that they've been through, and this this woman short shared this story where she was at a park with her friend, and um, 
these teenagers came into the parking lot down by this peaceful river at like 70 miles an hour, something crazy like that, you know, and they, and they started whipping donuts in the parking lot. Oh, no. And oh, no. she got so pissed off that she went over and started cussing them out. Like you effing stupid boys. Like, but she was just cursing them out. And then the funny side side comment was, this is while Mars was squaring the sun. Hmm. And she said that, uh, all of my training in nonviolent communication went out the door. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) That was what made the story for me was that she's like an expert in nonviolent communication, but she's boys. We're whipping the donuts. The, these, yeah, it was the, it was a bunch of teenage boys whipping donuts in the parking lot. And so she went off on them. Oh, oh, donuts in the car. I'm sitting here picturing like they had a box of like Krispy (laughs) Kremes and like your friend got so mad that she threw her donuts at them. (laughs) No, they were, they were, they were were turning donuts in the parking lot. Gotcha. Okay. Burning rubber. Okay. That makes more uh, sense now. Yeah. So she got really pissed off and started chewing them out, you know, really yeah. badly or whatever. And she's like, I'm an expert in nonviolent communication grabbed by Mars in the sun or sure. whatever. And, um, <clears throat> and I was thinking it's funny because here's a nonviolent communication expert sitting by a peaceful river. Doesn't that, isn't that the image you would anticipate sure. someone in nonviolent communication that likes to sit by a peaceful river. Oh, yeah. And then when that, that, when that ideal is interrupted, right when it's when it's 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 it is uh the absorption is punctured you know by this muscle car and they're whipping donuts you know and that's mars in the sun i'm absorbed you know what i mean like i'm absorbed in this peaceful virgo and it was very sun in virgo you know it's like me down by the river is this young maiden or whatever so you get that you get the ideal of um something very uh peaceful that's been disturbed well your absorption like we were talking about the sun earlier is being punctured by mars yeah and then you become violent you know then you you really don't like it when your ideal is like fractured or whatever and um one of the things that's interesting about mars and the sun's square is that they often speak to blindness like Mm. mars sun square can indicate an injury to the eye um, because it it fractures. I mean, your eye is the lens through which light and absorption in experience itself happens. <clears throat> Mars squaring can puncture or harm the eye, and so then you you might lose sight. Um, so w- it, similarly, she's absorbed in a in a vision of peace, and then it's interrupted by by Mars, and she becomes really angry. Sure. Um, so anyway, the point being that you know. The sun, one of the things that's, that's tough for the sun in the sign of Libra is that it's, uh, it's, it, it is a place where, um, you know, again, like the idealism by its very nature will somehow take you out of absorption. Hmm. And so that while Libra is an ideal place, you know, it's, it's not really a place where you're satisfied. Yeah. It, it's, it's a place where there's a lot of judgment and not that could be a very good thing but there's um, a sense of like uh, high ideals and standards and those ideals and standards by their very nature, take you out of absorption. Sure. Um, and so I think there's something about that that is actually correlated with the idea of blindness mm-hmm. of, um, of, of, of not being able to see. Um, and that is exactly why justice uh, is not supposed to be absorbed subjectively. 
it is supposed to be blind and therefore objective. Okay. Um, you see what I'm go. saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's more about the connection with the, the, the idealistic vision than the actual happening, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's yeah. why, and that's why in a sense, um, and you need that, like we need that for a, for a society, but, sure. um, it is also by its nature, uh, it, it is um, it's blinding in the sense that it, it also takes you out of the ability to be absorbed in, in the moment, which is why there's also Libras classically get stuck when it comes to making decisions that are inherently subjective and about being absorbed in your own desire, like in the moment, there's mm. sometimes, you know, paralysis by analysis. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I have to admit, I think Taurus actually has some of those challenges too. I have the moon in Taurus and I live on a busy crossroads i live at like an intersection and there's a um a gentleman who has a muscle car that that revs his engine at that oh, yeah. intersection every single day multiple times a day and i will tell you it makes me very angry because i am in my sanctu sanctuary right and i think that like taurus too is like you know it says hey I, I if you disturb my peace my bodily peace i'm going to get angry you know, where it's maybe it's externalized on some level, uh, as far as like a, an injustice with Libra on some level, right? Mm -hmm. uh, beauty and symmetry is what I think Venus desires in Libra on some level. Mm -hmm. um, okay, yeah, that's, man, what a great observation with, with the, the blindness and, and connecting it with the idealism. I think that's, that is really great. Um, I'm looking in the chat. Tammy says, my part of fortune is at two degrees Libra. Is there anything I should be doing at the new moon? Um, can I, can I field that for a second here, Chuta? Yeah, go ahead. You know, one of the ways I've been thinking about the lot of spirit or the lot of di did, is he, she's saying fortune though. Okay. Fortune. Maybe this is a little different then. Cause I, cause I was thinking lot of spirit. Um, and I'll comment on that real quick because one of your other students, Kat Nelligan, uh, is, wrote a really great book about the part of spirit and meeting our fate in, in a certain way. Um, so I was going to comment that maybe you would have an experience where you'd, you'd have something ignited like the Uranus potentially with an awareness of an injustice. One of the other things I wanted to talk about uh, just briefly and touch on is that there is a, a Kabbalistic tree of life uh, that's associated uh, Sephira that is associated with this two of swords. It's called Chokmah. And Chokmah is basically the light of awareness. So when we see twos, like the beginning of a Deccan, we're getting an awareness of some kind of other. And in, in Libra, we're getting an awareness of the other idea, someone else's perspective. And that can you know, necessitate a compromise, right? We may get upset, we may try to find peace because we're in, of course, we're in, you know, Venus's domicile. Um, and this could be related more so to your body and circumstances with fortune rather than maybe your, uh, you know, your, your visible idealism, philosophical approach to life with the spirit. Uh, do you, would you agree with that? Or is there anything you'd like to add to that? No, that's nice. Okay. Okay, well, I hope that answered your question, Tammy. I, sorry, I, did, I was just trying to get through it here because I've seen we got um, some other things going on. Okay, Achuta, we've talked about Mott, we've talked about Paris, we've talked about Libra. Um, you know, the last myth that Liz Green talks about is uh, Tiresias, who was the, the judge that Hera and Zeus 
um, went to for, <laughs> for here's where we get to the like the, marital counseling. Yeah, exactly. Marital counseling. Yeah. That's the nice way of saying it. Basically, you know, uh, Zeus was like, you know, Tiresias, you are of um, a dual nature, right? Because Hera, it, it, he basically was turned into uh, a woman uh, because he interrupted the copulation of snakes on a mountainside. There's some, there's more details to it, but he had lived as both man and, and woman. So he, he was thought to be a very objective. And they went to him and said, which uh, sex has more pleasure in coitus or in lovemaking? And <clears throat> he was like, well, I believe like a, a woman has 10 times the pleasure of a man or something like that. And that's what Zeus was, was saying. And Hera struck him blind. So another like correlation with blindness because she was so upset. She was pissed at him. Like, um, so another interesting story uh, about blind prophets. Um, okay. I'm, t I'm taking a look at my notes here. So let's wrap for the day. Uh, by just very briefly, if you will, indulge me. Um, let's just talk a little bit very briefly about uh, the first quarter moon and how we might be experiencing bringing this into fruition and then how we might see this play out as, as at the full moon. Can you talk about sure. that briefly? <clears throat> yeah, sure. Um, I uh, just a just a time check. I'm, I'm sure. going to be, I have date night with my wife and okay. I, if I'm not certain to get ready at five, I'm going to be in okay. trouble. So, All right, so we'll spend one minute on this and then we'll talk about the I Ching and the animal for a few seconds here. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds good. Um, you want me just my thoughts on this one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got, quarter? we've got the moon in its exile and, and the sun in its fall. What do you think we're dealing with here? Well, it's, it's Saturn stuff again. You know, mm -hmm. you get the, the sun in its uh, in Saturn's exaltation while being in its fall, the moon in its detriment. So, um, I suspect that there's a, a a quality of making a decision that may disappoint other people, or that may that could alienate us, mm -hmm. or that um, it's impossible to please everyone kind of situation. Um, there's like you know the desire for diplomacy, but <clears throat> the feeling that uh, no matter what you do, you may not feel emotionally uh, satisfied or accepted by others or something like that comes to my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, something like that. And then that's making a big T-square with Jupiter in that chart also on some level. And I think it's probably one of the underlying themes is like, I've got to do my own thing. I've yeah. got to, you know, and like not everyone's going to love it and it may hurt a little bit, but I've got to do my own thing. That that's I'm just that's one possibility that keeps sure. ringing out to me. Well, and and the decan that that moon is in is the two of pentacles, which is really about finding the advantages and disadvantages of a physical place or a particular goal that we have. So there may be some disagreements that come in about where's the best place to grow. Where where do we want to grow our our <laughs> where do we want to put our raid garden in the backyard? Right. <laughs> Whatever it is. Exactly. Okay. So when now we'll see the full moon of this that is going to be happening on October the 9th. Okay. So tell us a little bit about how you see this playing out and coming to fruition and the flowering with the moon in Aries here. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to me. I don't, 
personally pay a ton of attention to Chiron. I probably should since it's, I think it's partile, you know, conjoined my ascendant or it's very closely conjoined my ascendant. Sure. Um, so maybe I, I like should pay more attention to it, but um, <clears throat> it hurts to go in your own direction. It, it hurts to uh, move in, um, move in a different direction. That comes to my mind with the, the full moon with Chiron. Yeah. Um, the moon opposite Venus is classic for there being differences of culture, belief, value, opinion, um, different um, ways of doing things that, you know, um, like, like, for example, sometimes the moon opposite Venus is associated with conflicts between women and their uh, mothers and their daughters, mm. um, or <clears throat> the maiden and the mother the one who has a maternal responsibility and the one who's essentially still youthful and sure. uh, doesn't and sort of free. Um, so I wonder about the sense of, um, you know, like there's a, an aura of like the responsible Venusian ideal mm. with the sun and Venus, whereas there's a youthful freedom loving, but maybe somewhat uh, hurt, um, you know, in individual uh, with the moon and Chiron. Mm. So maybe a, a a need to go on our own personal journey of sovereignty is is painful, and when we're trying to separate from you know the expectation, the social expectation, on some level, perhaps. And it might be one that we carry an expectation that we carry uh, of ourselves or yeah. internally, but it might be. I, I would guess it could be social as well. Okay. <clears throat> okay. All right. So that's what we're getting to with the full moon here on the uh, October the ninth. So I'm going to stop the share. And I just wanted to talk very briefly with you about the animal that we got, which is the clam, <laughs> which is nice, which, uh, it, you know, I, I wrote down, it's important to keep quiet. It's, it, this is a time to retreat, stay quiet, assess the situation, wait to find balance and objectivity, utilize your good judgment. It actually says this about good judgment. Um, observation though, you know, and being able to observe and maybe seeing the other perspective on this level and use your healthy boundaries, which is a Saturnian um, role as well. And it's, you know, the, the clam lets things come to it through the tide and through the water and through the, the, the tide pool type of thing. So we don't necessarily have to pursue things. So uh, I don't know, aggressively on some level, right? And then the eaching that we got was number nine, which is uh, called small accumulation, restraint of the powerful by the weak, taking care of the little things, using gentleness, firm, friendly persuasion, temporarily held back, but the rain will come. That's one of the main images with number nine. Um, so the, the, there may be something where we're feeling like we want to move forward, but we're temporarily like, uh, and maybe that's the Mercury retrograde with Venus, and then we will get release when we get with Venus moving into Libra. Two changing lines, my friend, says, returning to the way, how could there be blame in this? Good fortune, um, which talks about recognizing the true nature of a situation rather than forcing your will, holding back when forced with obstacles rather than in uh, returning to objectivity and flexibility, being patient, not forcing it, reassessing, and then taking appropriate action, which sounds very clam-like. Um, and then the last line, and I'm going through this quickly for you, uh, the rain comes, then there is rest. The virtue one carries are esteemed. Yet even the preservation or the perseverance of a woman brings danger, for the moon is nearly full. If the superior person goes forth and acts, misfortune comes. So this talks about the release of the tension that we may be experiencing. Maybe it's the tension of the Jupiter 
and the lunation. Um, and, and our efforts eventually will be rewarded uh, and our contributions recognized over time. But then it's important not to force more, right? It says be satisfied with what you have. If, you, if you're going for and seeker, seeking some kind of greater victory or becoming greedy and, and getting out of alignment with contentment, that can lead to a downfall since we have entered the dark part of the year that is related to contraction. <clears throat> and this is moving to hexagram number 48, which is called the well. Uh, which is really about uh, going into the depths and your source is always going to be there no matter where you move. I don't know if you've experienced this hexagram with, they talk about the well moves or the city may move, but the well remains, uh, you know, I don't know, fertile or (laughs) whatever it is. What do you think about that real quickly? Yeah, there's, um, there are, uh, yeah, there's there's some things that you can <clears throat> manufacture um, or work around, or and then there's some things that um, there there are it's a kind of resource that <clears throat> excuse me that um, can't come from any other place. It's like um, and I think that speaks also to the dichotomy between law and natural law. Yeah, um, you can move the village around but everyone's dependent upon the the well and that can't be moved the well is where the well is and so there's something about that um seems to speak to our attempts to artificially move things around according to our ideals versus the you know the the way of nature the way of the Tao, and that it it's doesn't care for our sense of things if um they're not they're not in alignment with the Tao. I love that. And you have a great series on the Tao Te Ching that I think people should check out too, where you have a, a, a weekly series when you're... Yeah, every Wednesday we break down two verses at a time and you know, kind of compare the wisdom of the verse to like why, like why we do astrology. Yeah. Excellent. Well, my friend, this has been a pleasure. Uh, yeah. This is really great. We, we touched on a lot of territory, have great stories. Thank you for sharing and being vulnerable. I really appreciate that. And I know my audience does too. So where can we find you, Achuta, and what you got? What do you got going on to wrap us up here? Thank you. Um, yeah, it was fun to be here. This was really uh, this is a good time. Um, nightlightastrology.com, nightlightastrology.com. That's where you can find me, or on YouTube or Instagram with the same name. Um, <clears throat> new class starts November thirteenth or November twelfth. Uh, one year program. If you go to my website and look under the courses page, it's the first year course. So um, yeah, check it out. Maybe we can study with some of you. Nice. And for those of you uh, that are thinking about signing up for the guided group study, we start on Monday. So this is the last few days to sign up for guided group study, where we're going to be talking as a group on Demetri George's book, Astrology in Ancient Astrology and Theory and Practice, Volume 2. And I hope to see all of you there. And remember that there's a Libra sale for the Deccans webinars. All right. That's what I've got for today. Thank you so much, friends. Make sure you hit the like button. Subscribe if you're new here. Thank you so much, Achuta, for your time. Uh, I hope that you have a wonderful date night with your wife tonight. And uh, <laughs> it's a good, a good experience. And um, it's, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks. All right. So remember, friends, uh, again, as always, be, be kind to one another, especially in these times with Mars and Gemini. Uh, watch your words, try to be graceful in this Libra period. And also, most importantly, be kind to yourself because a lot of that peace starts from within and then can be uh, 
put out into the world. All right, friends, that's what I've got. Take, take care and have a good one. Peace.